From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. Since the civil rights movement of the 1960s, small steps have been made by Australian governments towards righting some of the wrongs of invasion and colonisation. But recently, progress seems to have ground to a halt. The federal government has shown next to no interest in advancing landmark reforms like the calls contained in the Uluru Statement from the Heart. Today, Werleman Noongar author and playwright Claire G. Coleman on how tokenistic gestures have replaced the real change demanded from Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities. Well, Happy New Year, Australia, for we are one and free. Claire, on New Year's Eve, the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, announced that he was going to change one word in the national anthem. Our anthem is about us, who we are and and who we hope to be as well. Young and free would be changed to one and free. And he said that this was about acknowledging Australia's Indigenous history. We're a strong and vibrant liberal democracy. We live in a timeless land of ancient First Nations peoples. Can you tell me what you made of, of that change and that claim? Well, I, I thought the, the change was um, not only uh, kind of silly and tokenistic, but actually just ludicrously silly. It doesn't change anything for anybody. I feel like, like it was a, the, the move of someone who's desperate to try and have some sort of relevance. Of all the things that our Prime Minister could have done for um, Indigenous affairs in Australia, that's what he chose to do? That, that, that's almost insultingly stupid. How good is Australia? And our anthem should reflect that. And the changes that we have made and we have announced today, I think, achieve that goal. If you think about the idea of kind of one and free, it smells a bit of, of one nation and the way they think about Australia. The idea of thinking of Australia as one, rather than being unifying, to me it, it just smacks of assimilation policies. And I think this very much sits in the mainstream of where Australia um, would like us to go, and I think it's a great way to, to start the new year. Mm. And you're saying that this is not a, a, a meaningful approach to change this one line, and I'm wondering if you can go back and, and tell me about the last time you think that, that an Australian government did meaningfully engage with Indigenous communities. Uh, well, when I think really think about it, the whitefella politician that most pe- um, Aboriginal people remember as having tried something, and even in if you go to the Northern Territory, they speak of this, is, is Gough Whitlam. Because all of us as Australians are diminished while the Aborigines are denied their rightful place in this nation. He was not a perfect politician. I'm sure he, he annoyed some Aboriginal people, but um, he was part of the largest handovers of Aboriginal land under land rights of any politician. We will legislate to give Aborigines land rights. Not just because their case is beyond argument. This is before even the Mabo decision. He handed over vast tracts of land at government expense, including the handover of Wavehill, or a big chunk of Wavehill Station to the Gurindji people. My name is Benson Lindyari, and 
I came down here, the house all this Solomon here, but the land right. That land belonged to me, belonged to Aboriginal men. It was symbolised by that amazing Mervyn Bishop photo of Gough Whitlam pouring sand into Vincent Lingyawi's hand. And I want to give back to you formally, in Aboriginal and in Australian law, ownership of this land of your fathers. There was no legal reason to do this, he just thought it was the right thing to do. There was no government legislation, it was kind of an executive decision. Even Aboriginal people who are not currently particularly engaged in politics now remember remember those acts and remember the way he treated Aboriginal land rights um, with the kind of a love and a longing that it's kind of would be great to have a politician who cared that much now. I want to promise you that this act of restitution which we perform today will not stand alone. Your fight was not for yourselves alone and we are determined that Aboriginal Australians everywhere will be helped by it. So we've gone from Gough Whitlam, who more than 40 years ago was making real and material changes on issues like land rights, to Scott Morrison, who changes one word in the anthem. Do you see a trend here where politics in this space has become more symbolic and and less tangible? I mean, the, the, the fact is that uh, Office of the Prime Minister has certain ability to make executive decisions. You know, the change of the national anthem was not a decision that needed even a cabinet meeting or it didn't need a vote in parliament. It was just done. But there's also genuine change that could be done by the prime minister or that the prime minister could at least institute for. But it's not happening. I think, for example, the um, Uluru statement from the heart, the, the government response to that has been um, nothing but tokenistic and extremely shallow and completely and utterly disconnected from what is actually being asked for. And so what do you think is going on here? Is this inaction? Is it because of a, a concern about backlash? Well, there, there is a lot of concern about backlash. Whenever a, um, you know, since Prime Minister Whitlam, every time a politician has done something like genuinely effective to help Aboriginal people, they've been punished for it in the polls. And I think a lot of that comes down to the the fact that Australia still plays as complete fidelity to settler colonialism. The average white Australian still lives with this notion deep down that they that um, Aboriginal people have no right to or, or connection with the land itself. And I think there's this attitude that you sometimes get where if an Aboriginal person asks for some minor concession, the response from a lot of mainstream Australia is that we always want something that we don't deserve or we always want something for free. And it fascinates me that we get so often told that we're asking for something for free when what we're asking for is land rights, we're asking for land back. Even though the Mabo decision overturned Terranalias in law, there's nothing has been done in social engineering or, or in looking at the history books to overturn Terranalias in the minds of the average Australian. The average white Australian still, for some reason, imagines that 
When the English colonizers arrived here, they arrived to an empty land and just took over an empty land without hurting anyone. That, that imagination, that imaginary scenario is still dominant in the Australian psyche. We'll be back after this. For Sloane Crosley, writing about the loss of a friend may not have provided catharsis, but it did allow for the possibility of a better ending. Like you have this amazing meal that's this friendship and then you have a really, 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 really bad dessert with shards of glass in it. And then like the book is like, you know, those little chunks of chocolate that come with the bill. I'm Michael Williams. Join me for this week's episode of Read This as I talk to Sloane Crosley about her latest Grief is for People. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. As a a. 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read Post, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarising each of their key points. Sign up today at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters. Organisers say their Invasion Day ceremony highlights how whites should have behaved 205 years ago. The last time in the 60s when they had crowds this big, it forced the government to pull the troops out of Vietnam. Let's hope we can force Bob Hawke to do something about Aboriginal people this time round. Thousands have turned up and literally they're still flowing in down the street here. Thousands of protesters are taking part in Invasion Day rallies across the country. The protests are being held in Melbourne, Sydney, Newcastle, Penrith, Canberra, Perth, Adelaide, Hobart, Darwin, we Brisbane won't go and Claire, every year we see more and more Australians march on Invasion Day to protest racial injustice, but those marches don't seem to have translated into real action whether that's on something like enacting the calls in the Uluru Statement from the heart or raising the criminal age of responsibility from 10 to 14. Can you tell me why you think that is? I I can't be sure, but I've got a couple of theories. One is that both parties are more concerned about the white nationalist, white supremacist type combining to vote them out is probably part of the issue. I think a part of the issue could be the Murdoch press that seems determined to force the government to be more right-wing than the people are. I actually believe that the Liberal Party are are bowing down to the um, far-right kind of way of thinking even further than they ever have before. And the Labor Party, rather than coming up with a genuine difference, rather than being actually thoroughly different to the Liberal Party, are kind of doing a piss-weak, half-arse kind of right-wing light. I think both parties believe that if they gave Aboriginal people, if they gave us what we wanted, that they would be punished for it. I imagine they also believe that the people marching in an invasion day might march but aren't willing to change their vote based on what the government does. And to be honest, I'm not sure if I disagree with them. I'm, I'm not 100% certain that the people marching Invasion Day would vote for a party that would give Aboriginal people more rights just for that reason. I, I think it would have to be part of a larger package that is more than just just Aboriginal rights. I think it's easy for people to march, but it's hard for them to to take a risk in their vote, I think. Right. So you're saying that people 
might be willing to march to show their support, but that doesn't necessarily translate to how they vote. I, I think that is the issue, and I think I suppose that we, as a nation, Australians tend to be quite conservative as voters. It was quite obvious at the last federal election where real reform was voted down in favour of tokenistic reform and a bribe, essentially, um, tax, tax cuts. So um, Australians tend to vote in two ways, I think. They tend to vote in ways that is determined by economic gain to themselves and they tend to vote how the newspapers and television tell them to vote. I'm constantly aware of the fact that no matter what we think of um, our Prime Minister, he was voted in, which means that Australians made the choice to choose, to choose Scott Morrison over the alternatives. So I think that's, that's the malaise in Australia. As much as racism is a problem in Australia, but our, our tendency to, to vote based on, on spin and publicity and optics rather than voting for genuine change is a problem that has to be addressed. We have to have people make a commitment, voters making a commitment to vote in whichever party decides to do the right thing for Aboriginal people. You know, there's 25 million people living on this continent. I think we need to have millions of people, literally millions of people, make a commitment that whichever party commits to improving Aboriginal affairs, whichever party commits to the Uluru Statement is a party that gets their vote. And that might make a difference. Claire, it feels like while Australia has been stuck on these really fundamental issues around sovereignty and and land rights and a real political voice for Indigenous communities, other countries have been making some progress on racial justice. The, The Black Lives Matter movement in the US, for example, significantly shifted the discussion in that country. So I'm wondering how do you think Australia compares internationally on issues of race? Every year or more than once a year, somebody international will excoriate Australia on our race relations. The UN Assembly shone a spotlight on Australia's human rights. One key topic was the treatment and imprisonment rate of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. Australia's excuse is always, oh, we don't have um, police shootings in the street of Aboriginal people or, or other people of colour. And my response to that is the reason we don't people aren't shot is because generally the police in Australia have a a low tendency to draw their guns. Instead, they'd rather beat someone to death. And if you think about things like uh, the death of of Mr. Dumaji in Palm Island, beaten to death by a cop who, rather than being fired for it, was moved and then he was finally sacked because he. Um, hit a white person. Justice Mortimer also found police did not act impartially and independently in the investigation into Cameron Dumaji's death, with police officer Chris Hurley initially never treated as a suspect or stood down. Our government would like us to think they're actually not a racist country, and Australians like to pretend we're not racist. But um, Aboriginal people can see it, other people of colour can see it, and of course refugees in Australia can see how racist this country is. But when you try and tell Australians who think that they're nice people that this is a racist country, they, they tend to get upset. And I suppose what it, one thing I really think is important to think about is that we need to understand that somebody can consider themselves to be a good person and still be racist. And someone can, be, can actually genuinely be a good person and do terrible things for other people. 
I, th- I think it's it's clear that Australia is a very racist country, and it's clear from the way the rest of the world reacts to Australia that w- our racism is not considered acceptable anywhere else in the world. Claire, thank you so much for your time today. No worries. Thank you. Sloane Crosley is known for her funny and acerbic personal essays, but her new memoir digs much deeper to examine the loss of her best friend. Join me, Michael Williams, as I chat with Sloane about Grief is for People. Find it wherever you listen. Also in the news today, Invasion Day rallies are being held in cities across Australia, despite some state governments claiming that they breach public health orders. In order to ensure that the rallies are COVID-19 safe, organisers will be splitting protesters into smaller groups to comply with health restrictions. And the Therapeutic Goods Administration has provisionally approved the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine for use in Australia. The vaccine rollout is due to begin next month. I'm Ruby Jones. See you tomorrow.